Welcome to the Hop and Brew School podcast. I'm Justin Crosley. I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are here to teach you about hops and how to make better beer as always. Welcome back, Nick. Thank you, sir. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. Glad to hear your voice. You've been traveling the globe, I think. Yep, racking up those miles again. There you go. Uh, just got got the opportunity to spend some time in in Europe, which was uh, always good fun. Are you uh, are you one of these elite status uh, flyers because of uh, all the miles you put on? Much to my chagrin, yes, I've been racking them up. Uh, it is uh, it does confer some advantages, but which, which are drastically outweighed by having to travel so much. Understood. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to be back on the air with you. And um, today we're going to be talking about hop extracts. Is that right? Yes, sir. We've got a bunch of different things to go through. So uh, let's kick it off. Yeah, this is a great topic, I think, because, um, you know, it's not that hop extract is brand new to brewing, um, but I do think that it's come a long way, um, and especially with what you guys do there at YCH. And I think that there's maybe some um, myths and, uh, gosh, maybe even a bad rap sometimes around hop extract, you know, from the past. People think, you know, the purists thinking that you, you have to use, uh, you know, fresh whole hops or something. Um, but uh, hop extract is really uh, uh, something that I think people would be surprised to find out how many of their favorite breweries use it, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, hop extract is, uh, you know, it, it is a processed form of the hops, but what it is is a purification of a lot of the compounds that, that we want in our beer, uh, leaving behind uh, the majority of the plant matter that will confer haze issues or polyphenols and some, some sort of the astringency that you can get with a, with a really high hop load. So some really hoppy, high-level beers that, that we all love uh, rely on hop extract to get that extra kick and to help them sort of get across the bitterness level they want and to keep the refined, clear flavors and uh, some, even some of the aromatics that, that we want in the in the beers without getting excessively planty, basically. Got That's it. a technical term, planty. Yeah, don't get excessively planty. Um, well, so tell us what it is in the sense of, um, you know, you, you give a, a, a quick rundown there, but, you know, what, what form does it come in and, and how do you get it to that? Um, and then specifically, I guess, uh, we'll get into some of the uses for it. Yeah. Um, so... Hop extract is really now across the world is really mostly produced with supercritical CO2. And what that is, is uh, carbon dioxide that has been compressed to a, a very high level. We're talking uh, pressures in excess of, you know, 13 to 1500 PSI going all the way up to, in, in some some plants, 5000 PSI. Some plants, I mean, like industrial plants, not not a, a not the organic matter. Got it. <laughs> um, okay. And what that does is when you change the, the, the pressure of CO2, it changes its ability to solubilize certain compounds. So it changes how it changes the pH and changes how, how compounds will dissolve into it. So you can by changing the pressure and changing the, the phase of, of, the, of the CO2, you can change and selectively uh, extract certain, compounds from a matrix. So in this case, you take uh, either either hot powder or, or hot pellets and run CO2 through them at a really high pressure, and that pulls out various uh, fractions of the compounds that we're interested in, 
interested in and leaves others behind. So uh, in particular, uh, supercritical CO2 is going to pull out the some of the terpenes and some of the aromatic compounds, as well as the alpha acids and the beta acids, while leaving most of the, of the chlorophyll, the polyphenols, and really everything else that's stuck in the leaf matter behind. And is that are those things that we generally, I mean, we don't use any of those items when we when we have regular hops anyway. We don't care about them in general, or or do we care about them when we're using whole hops or or pellet hops? You do care about them to some extent. We've talked about this before, where you do need a little bit of the polyphenol character from hops to give what I term sort of the throat hit of, of an aggressively hopped beer. So, um, it, you know, that back of the throat bitterness, a little bit of lingering astringency, and some of that character that, that really rounds out the, the, the hop presence. You can make beer using only hop extracts, but most people find that it ends up lacking a little bit. So you do want a little bit of that plant matter, but not too much. So if you're making like a big old double IPA and you're trying to get, you know, 100 IBUs into a beer, that can actually require a tremendous quantity of, uh, of, of hops. So you could add, you know, just hundreds of pounds of, of T90 pellets or, or whole cone, but you start losing a lot of liquid. And, and so, so you have what's, what's called uh, the, the, the extract losses in the brewing term. And I don't mean hop extract, but I mean extract from the sugars. So, and that really is what is going to become alcohol and ultimately affect your overall uh, product efficiency. So we, you do want a little bit of that, but you can get a lot of that character from a relatively small quantity of plant matter in your kettle. Okay. Um, and then you'll have to rely on something else to provide the bitterness and, and even some of the flavor that, uh, that you want to get in there. And so one of the things that's cool about hop extract is that it's left, it's, it has left all that, that, that the, the plant characteristics of the, like the polyphenols and the astringency and, and those characteristics behind, but it still retains a lot of the varietal characteristics of the hops that it's made from. So you can actually really adjust the uh, sort of the, the stringency, the cleanliness, the character of your beer in yet another way. And that's one of the things that I like about hop extract is that it allows you that, that extra degree of control to, to really dial in the flavor that you're after. I'd love to do a triangle test with you sometime on this because it sounds to me, and I've heard this before, uh, you know, over the years uh, I, I started to hear from brewers that um, – they hardly even care what their uh, sixty-minute boil edition of hops, uh, you know, what what variety it is. They do tend to uh, be some of the same ones. Like Magnum is super popular, right? But they would just tell me, like, you know, uh, in the beginning when I started the BN, every single hop edition seemed to matter what variety it was. But as the years went on, you know, brewers were like, well, you know, we just throw some Magnum in our sixty, and then of course we do. Uh, they started charging the end of the boil more and more and more with more hops. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I just wonder why it's not just an industry standard to forget about that 60-minute addition in the term of pellets or whole hops, uh, switch entirely to, um, to extracts. And then I, I do hear you, you still need some plant matter. So all of your, you know, middle to end range uh, hop additions would still be, you know, pellets or, or whole hops. And I'd love to do um, like a triangle test of somebody who used um, traditional hops as their bittering charged and, and the exact same beer with hop extract. And um, my guess is I'd, I'd probably hard, hardly notice the difference. Well, you know, 
I used to think so. I've, I've kind of come full circle here. I, I used to think, okay, got to track absolutely every hop dose and, and and make sure that we're getting exactly the character we want out of each phase, which I think is important. Um, and but then you know we kind of moved to that. Oh, just use Magnum; it'll be fine. Or just use anything in 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 the sixty minute edition for your bitterness. Yeah. And then rely on on your whirlpool and then your dry hop additions for your flavor and aromas, respectively. Yeah. What's interesting is that when I was brewing uh, at at some of the larger or some of the breweries that I used to work at, we found you know that operating on that principle, yeah, it works with some of the less characterful hops like Magnum, um, which is, is is a wonderful bittering hop. That's what it was. That's what it was bred for, and it, it's it's really fantastic that way. Hercules is a nice uh, nice uh, sort of a replacement for Magnum, uh, but. When I, I I made one of our IPAs that relies on Magnum bitterness in the front end, and I ran out and I was looking at sort of the same IBUs and all that, and I was like, well, we've got this some old Victoria's Secret and uh, or Vic's sorry Vic's Secret. Uh, let's uh, let's just use that. But it threw this really interesting sort of vanilla nut character in there that persisted all the way through. So I actually ended up having to blend that batch out with another one. I see because I could detect it so. Well, I, I, I was sensitive to it because I was looking for it, but I could detect it as a difference. So some of those compounds actually do persist, and they're not all driven off because they're not low uh, molecular weight, uh, very volatile compounds. So they'll stay in the in in the wort um, and all the way through the final beer. So I, I yes, I agree that we can all do that, but I think that it actually does matter, especially if you're if you're trying to create a very balanced and very a uh, very controlled flavor profile. Sure. Um, and the other thing you, you you mentioned earlier on was that, you know, why isn't the industry standard? And and by global volume, it absolutely is the industry standard. Most beer in the world is produced using hop extracts. Ah, okay. Well, there we go. Um, That's good. And know. a lot of our our favorite beers, uh, even the big IPAs, uh, use hop extract in uh, as as a big part of for their bitterness and for their flavor. You know, just off the top of my head, we've got uh, Pliny the Elder. Vinny's been very open about sharing how how he uses hop extract to to get that beer to where it needs to be and to and to maintain the the right flavor balance in there by yeah. using hop extracts. Um, at at Brewdog, we used it in Hardcore and Jackhammer, which are both you know in excess of 100 uh, calculated IBUs. And without that, we would end up with such an astringent beer that we we couldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be pleasant to drink. Um, and also what's interesting is that you can use hop extract, like full spectrum hop extract, as a flavor addition beyond just bitterness. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's really, vol- uh, really, not volatile, sorry, it's a really um, varied and, uh, and it's got a lot of character that you can add, and it's just a different way of controlling it. And I, I've spoken before about how one of the things that different hop formats allow us to do is to really finely control the flavor profile of our beers by fractionating that hop cone. So you take the the leaf matter, you take the the resins, you take the oils, and depending on what formulation those are in, you can really fine tune your the, the sort of the palette of flavor that you're that you're providing people and so rather than having just you know i, I always you know sort of make it akin to, to colors because you know synesthesia and, and weird geekery um but uh you know if you say you know my wife will ask me oh what color is that and it's like oh well that's pink she's like no that's salmon or peach <laughs> right. I'm like no it's pink um, and you know that's you know my, my narrow perception of, of of what colors are is is you know fairly 
primary color base, shall we say, and she's a, she's a wonderful painter, so she has all these different gradations. And by fractioning out our hop flavor, we can create finer slices of that color. And they all combine together to create the, this, this wonderful uh, mosaic, colorful characteristic. But, you know, pink isn't just pink. Red right. isn't just red. There are various gradations of that. And so by splitting out those compounds and selectively concentrating some of them into different formats, we can really exercise fine control and make a product more like what we're, what we're, what we're envisioning in our heads. Okay. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And before we move on to you know, you know, exactly how it can be used uh, and the different types used for extract and then uh, uh, for flavor and to really get to these nuances, uh, I just want to ask if any of the beer examples that you gave, you know, Pliny, for example, um, because you're explaining to me that, that uh, there is a difference between just extract or using hop matter as well, are, uh, are brewers using extract and hop, uh, traditional hops in conjunction in the 60 minute as a bittering uh, charge. So in other words, both. Um, some people will. And, and the primary reason for that is to create nucleation sites in, in the boil. I see. Uh, and that helps with uh, boil over stability so that you want a little small amount of, of particulate matter in there to make sure that it's binding to the proteins and, and polyphenols and settling out in the whirlpool later on, but also preventing big foam buildup that might uh, blow out of your kettle. Okay. Really. Um, that's a big one. So you always, you always want at least, a, you know, you always say if you're, if you're making a, a primarily extract bittered beer, I always just chuck a handful or so in, uh, into, into the kettle to help. And obviously this is at a 50 barrel plus system. So, you know, in your own, in a homebrewing scenario, that might be like a pellet or two. Uh, but that will be enough particulate matter to, to help disrupt that foam formation. I'm so glad. It's funny that you're saying that because for years I've, I've been in breweries um, just chatting with brewers and watched them throw in the handful. And mm-hmm. I always thought it was a joke. I always kind of made fun of it. I thought they were being, well, it, hey, traditionally it has to have this, so this is what we do. I, I literally thought it was a joke, but you're saying that even that uh, token amount uh, serves serves a purpose. Oh, absolutely. And it's and it really is just a, a you know, liquid characteristics when it's under pressure and under heat and you're boiling it you want something to break it up it's kind of like if you're uh if you're making a, a soup or or like a rice pudding as an example is you know just lay a, a wooden spoon across the top of that that pot so when it does boil up and hits that that actually breaks the surface tension of those bubbles and then as those bubbles break apart they collapse down into themselves and they knock that foam level back down got it i'm glad <laughs> now I, I can never laugh again when i see the brewers do it they actually have the purpose um all right Let's get into what some of the formulations of these extracts are and, and, and uh, what they're used for. Okay, so um, I'm going to back up just a little bit and okay. sort of go in. So like, really, what are we after in the hops? And that's, that's kind of what we, we want to focus on because you can break something apart, but if it's so long as, it's, as those parts are useful, right? If you just break it apart willy-nilly, it's not going to really do what you want. So when you talk about fractionating the hop cone, there's the major fractions that we're focused on. And traditionally, that's been alpha acids for bitterness. And there are also some beta acids in there. And then you have your hop resins and the oils that are that are a part of that matrix. So when we, we, we take the hop cone and sort of dissect it, if you will, you end up with the resinous components, alpha, beta, oils, uh, and the plant matter in really gross terms. From that, you can then separate out the resins into the alpha acids, the beta acids, 
oils and some of some of the waxes that are that are not really of tremendous use in, in, in brewing. Um, so hop extract was originally formulated to provide bittering without the excess characteristics that are associated with the plant matter. So once you've extracted uh, through supercritical CO2 and, or, or whatever, or even liquid, liquid CO2, um, you end up with this very viscous, heavy resin matrix. And as an example, so if you take a, if, if a, uh, all the resins are in a hop, so you're typically sitting around between, you know, up to 15% now with the high alpha varieties. Um, but that hop cone is going to be sort of the, the 100% of, of the hop matter that's there. Um, T90 pellets are pick, typically, um, you know, 90 to 96% of that volume. So we've removed some of the, some of the plant matter, but we've retained uh, the vast majority, 99.97% of, of those resins and oils. Um, cryo, for example, is then half of that volume. So you've, you've only got about, you know, 35 to 40% of that plant matter, sometimes even less depending on the variety, and then a much higher concentration of those resins. CO2 extract is going to be, you know, under 10% of your total volume and total mass, but it's going to contain almost all of the alpha acids that are there. Okay. So you're really dramatically reducing the amount of material that goes into your process. So you're able to get more liquid out. Got it. Um, and so the formulations are basically, then you have, you, you've got two major ones. We'll, we'll start with that. We've got sort of the full spectrum bittering extract, which is the CO2 runs through it. We leave the plant matter behind and we're left with this big mass of, uh, of, of, of resinous, you know, fluid material. I wouldn't say it's, it's liquid. It's pretty, it's pretty waxy. It's like a, it's like cold molasses or, 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 or like honey that you've left in the fridge. If you hold it upside down, it'll eventually start to move down the sides of the container, but not really. You need to heat it up to get it to, to, to pour and flow. Okay. Um, but that contains all of the alpha, all of the beta, and all of the oils that are responsible for the aromatics. It contains the terpenes and the thiols. Um, that's, this, and this is the one you're saying that's a full-spectrum uh, bittering extract. Yeah, that's full spectrum. So it's got all it's got all the characteristics in there, um, and it isn't really flowable. So you have to add it into the hot side to help it dissolve and, and get into the liquid. So it's a bit like it sounds to me like it looks a bit like malt extract, even. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's thing. much more viscous than malt extract. Okay, um, you can hold a, a can of hop extract upside down if you just open the top, and it's it'll come out eventually. It's going to be a lot like the uh, what is it the 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 pitch drop experiment where it took. 80 years for the first drop to hit the hit, hit the detector. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's kind of like that. Um, okay. But uh, and once it's sorry, good. Well, go ahead. No, just but once once it's warmed up, it'll it'll start to flow and then and then be dissolvable. Okay. Now, does this come from? I guess I always just assumed it would be one hop variety uh, because we're not really looking for some mix here. Uh, is that generally the case, or do you guys use a blend of hops to get extract from? So there's there's really two ways to do it. If you're just after the bitterness, you can do what's called or make what's called generic extract, and that is, you know, we're just trying to hit an alpha acid level that uh, the customer has requested. So we'll blend different alpha acids together, assuming they, they hit all the quality parameters that the customer's established. And we'll make an extract that is, you just call, you know, generic hop extract, and it's at 55 to 60% alpha acid 
or grams of alpha, mm-hmm. right? So we so we 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 like to operate in in what's called GMA or grams of alpha in our tins. And so if you have a sixty percent alpha acid content in a one pound tin or one kilo tin, that's going to be six hundred GMA. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. So that's six hundred grams of alpha acids out of a thousand. Okay. I see. So you then just use that as if you were doing your regular bitterness calculation. So you would add the amount of bitterness that you need. So like if you're trying to get X number of IBUs, you need X number of milligrams of iso alpha acids per liter. You then calculate how much of the hop extract will provide that and you chuck that in. And because it's liberated from the plant matter, you get much higher utilization than you would normally. So typically, uh, in in the boil at the beginning of at the beginning of the boil, you're going to get about a 35% utilization of all of those uh, those, those bittering compounds. So out of that six out of those 600 grams, if you want to use the entire 600, um, you would get 600 grams times 0.35. So you're going to get about 200 well 180 180 grams of iso alpha acids into your wort by adding those 600 that 600 gma tin okay got it and we've got some calculators on the website uh, on yakimachief.com if you want to go check those out we've got under they're under brewing tools um and so there's calculators for uh, pellet bitterness for whole cone for uh, alpha acid and then some of the some of the advanced products that we'll get to into a little bit okay and just out of curiosity, maybe this is proprietary, I don't know, but does this does this often come from hops that are sort of um, left over? I'm thinking of like, uh, I had read once that um, baby carrots, there, there's actually no such thing as a, really a baby carrot. They were, the, 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 the carrot industry had, were throwing away a bunch of carrots because they weren't the big size that we all expected. And somebody one day was like, you know, if we just like shave the skin off of those and sell them as baby carrots, I bet we can stop throwing all that stuff away. And uh, now baby carrots are like the most popular carrot you you know you get, right? Uh, yes, I, 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 I think I read that story as well as a farmer or a processing guy who who made millions for his company by doing that. That yeah. was pretty genius. So I um, just I guess I was wondering the same thing because since in at least in this case, since you're really just looking for alpha acids, you know, if I'm YCH, I'm going, well, hey, we got a bunch of pounds of this stuff over there. It's not enough to sell to somebody else. It's too much to throw away now we make extract um so yes and no so it's not like we have leftover stuff that we don't like it's more that we have say out of we have like you know someone orders ten thousand pounds mm-hmm. and that lot happens to be ten thousand and a hundred and twenty five pounds right that's so kind of what i was getting I was like, okay well we can't really package that separately so we might as well chuck it into extract okay Got it. Does that make sense? Yep. And so, so that's if we're, if you're building a generic. So it's it's really just to to round out the numbers to match with order numbers. Um, but if you went back, you, you earlier on, you'd asked if we use single varieties to produce extract, mm-hmm. and absolutely, because this is a full spectrum extract, so the varietal characteristics are maintained. Okay. Because we keeps the oils with it. Uh, we keep the oils with that extract. It comes out with the alpha acid and the beta acid. So. A lot of brewers will specifically select lots to be extracted as a single variety because it's part of their recipe. That makes sense. So I was, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of leeway when I was when I was brewing. So I wanted to try to make a beer that pretty much relied on hop extract for most of the character. 
And we managed to, to contact a YCH and said, hey, can, can, you know, what single variety extracts do you have right now? We're doing this experiment, trying to make this beer. And uh, the guys over here were like, oh, yeah, well, we've got some Amarillo. We've got some Citra. We've got some Mosaic. We've got some Simcoe. I was like, sweet. Give me, you know, 10 tins of each and we'll play with them. Okay. And uh, it was really, really fun. And we were able to, to, to fine tune that character. We had to add some, some, some you know, T90s and some cryo in there to, to get different characteristics. But the flavors that you got out of those extracts were Simcoe, Mosaic, Amarillo, and Citra. So you really do end up with the, the character of those, of those hops without all the plant characteristics. Okay. The plant matter sort of characteristics. Um, so what was interesting with that is that we took that full spectrum extract and rather than adding it as a bittering extract, we figured out how long it would take us to dissolve that in our whirlpool and so we stabbed the tins and hung them in the kettle uh, during that whirlpool phase, and all the hop extract dissolved, and, be, and it, it, did, it was hot enough to isomerize it for like the last 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but we didn't lose all the aromatic qualities. So those, those added a very clean aromatic quality of Simcoe, Citra, Mosaic, and Amarillo um, that we were then just able to bump up a little bit with our dry hops. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a. I, I'm not sure if I ever brought you a can of that, but it was, it's a Magic Rock Saucery is 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 what we use that in, and uh, it's a you know 3.6% session IPA, and it really depends on on those extracts to, to give it that character. Okay. Um, Founders All Day IPA was was really one of the inspirations behind the Saucery, and it it does the same thing. They, they use a lot of single varietal extracts in that beer to deliver that, that final flavor character. Got it. I'm going to, I founders I, I, all day is one of my faves. So I'm going to have to think about that next time I'm drinking it. I never would have guessed, you know, and, and when you taste it, you'll, you'll, you'll notice like if you, you can get a session IPA, that's, you know, about the same alcohol level and, and so on and so forth that doesn't use, that doesn't rely on hop extracts. You're going to notice a different, character of the flavor and of the mouthfeel uh, because of that. And so, uh, you know, all day and saucery were, are, are smashable as, 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 as the Brits might say, mm-hmm. where you can just, you can just really just, you can have them all day yeah. um, because they're easy drinking there. There's not a lot of throat hit. The bitterness is there, but it's not, not terribly aggressive and all the flavor is there, but it's not going to overwhelm your palate. Got it. Okay. And that's kind of one of the things that, that hop extract provides. Okay, so that's kind of a rundown of, of full-spectrum bittering extract. Is there another kind of uh, bittering extract? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a couple. Um, the, the primary one is going to be what's called uh, isomerized kettle extract, or Ike. So full-spectrum bittering extract, or, or regular just you know hop extract, is, is what was typically the industry just calls it as hop extract, um, <clears throat> is not isomerized. You have to boil it to isomerize it. Isomerized kettle extract is already pre-isomerized in the production process which means that as soon as you add it to the liquid, those bittering compounds are there. Wow, okay. So you get a lot of bittering out of a very, very low amount of matter being added to, uh, to, to your liquid or to your, to your wort, and you derive all of the bitterness in, in, in one shot. Is this also kind of a, a thick molasses-type uh, viscosity? Typically, yes, but you can get some, there are some processes and some products out there that are a lot more flowable. Um, and it's, honestly, it really doesn't 
matter because you can buy the, the, the more viscous material in different size tins. I mean, you can go down to 150 GMA, so that'll be like a 300 gram tin. Uh, and this comes in cans, or if you're at a really big brewery, it comes in totes or in barrels. Um, but you're, you're just adding small quantities of that. So um, for home brewers, and this is something that, that uh, I think needs to be clarified, a lot of, a lot of home brewers haven't used extract before because they thought you had to use a whole tin of this stuff. Um, like, you know, you get a, a one kilo tin and that's going to satisfy your bittering needs for probably your entire home brewing career um, because there's a ton of alpha acids in there. But because this stuff is so stable, you can use a teaspoon okay. or heat it up and take a, you know, a syringe to get really, really close in your dosing. Um, you can get it to a liquid state, suck up the number of ML in the syringe that you want to use and just squirt it into your, into your boil kettle and you'll be able to use it. Wow. So why, why, why would I want isomerized or unisomerized? So to me, extract is already this concentration of, of what I want in the beer. Um, and now you're telling me that the, the Ike version, the isomerized kettle version sounds to me like it's now just an even more concentrated version. So what's the difference beyond that? It's so the Ike is it's it's for lack of a better term it's activated. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, so, it does. So, so I, what I, is it just so it's a time a matter of time? Like I'm going to want to use the isomerized because I don't want to wait around for it to isomerize in the boil. Right, and and you're going to be able to add even less material. Got it. Uh, because you don't have to. So you don't have to take account to the the relatively inefficient process of kettle isomerization because it's already been done uh, uh, upstream in in the processing plant, um, and really it comes down to scale and efficiency. So um, I'm not aware of Ike being available in small format for for a lot of home brewers or smaller brewers okay. because. It's it, it's not really worth the extra cost because Ike does require some more processing, so it's going to be more expensive um, because it, it the numbers don't pencil out. Okay. You don't need you're not you're not chasing these levels of efficiency. You know a a 0.25 or 0.025 percent efficiency increase on a homebrew scale is effectively immeasurable. Um, on a 50 barrel system, it's a little bit more measurable, but when you're talking about 500 hectoliter or, or thousand barrel batches, that starts to add up pretty quickly. Okay. That makes sense. For a lot of the big brewers who are producing, you know, hundreds to to hundreds of millions of barrels of, uh, of beer per year, that, that adds up. Okay. So let me ask you this, uh, theoretical question, uh, if I'm planning a brew, um, which normally would be the 60-minute boil, and I and I might use my full-spectrum um, unisomerized bittering extract at, at the 60-minute edition, and then I don't really plan to add uh, hop matter again until uh, let's call it 20 minutes into you know 20 minutes till the end of the boil. You know, I'm going to do a charge then, and I'm going to do a a one-minute charge, and I'm going to do a whirlpool. In theory, could I use Ike since it's already isomerized? And then just do a twenty-minute boil. I, I would, I would just, I'd be boiling. I'd throw in the Ike, and I'd also throw in my twenty-minute edition, and go from there. Does that see what I'm getting at there? Yeah. So in theory, you can do that if you don't mind the flavor of cream corn and Frito Lay's in your mm, beer. Because you're not okay. So it does have the other. Uh, I'd have to. I would have had to ask 
all other things being equal, I don't need to blow off DMS. Uh, I'm not looking for melanoidin uh, formation by boiling longer, and so You're on. You're not trying so to forth. settle out your proteins and so on and so forth. Yeah, you could do that. But it, okay, but it, but then it wouldn't be a beer that I want to drink either. So, uh, yeah, you know, if if you if you have the appropriate equipment, so high pressure boiling systems to blow off, you can do that, and some big breweries do do that. Um, okay. However, I would challenge that you could go yet another step further and use the advanced products that are derived from full-spectrum hop extracts, which are the – you take the the hop extract and you treat it with potassium hydroxide and then you drop the pH out. And what that does is that forces the alpha acids – the beta acids to separate out. So you end up with a, with a, a beta and aromatic fraction, fraction beta and aromatic oil fraction. And then you end up with your alpha acid fraction, which is just the bitterness. And now it's water soluble. Okay. And then hey. that is now sitting in an aqueous suspension. Um, typically it's a, about a 30% ethanol solution or sometimes up to 70%. Um, and then you can just titrate that. You can just drop it in with a dropper into your beer on the cold side to get exactly the bitterness that you want. Okay. All right, let's do this. This is a good place to take a break. Um, And when we come back, I want to dive into these advanced uh, products. We'll back up just a little bit. Uh, We'll dive into what these advanced products are and uh, how we can get uh, different, uh, different outcomes from those, right? Sounds good. Okay, hang in there. You're listening to the Hop and Brew School podcast, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Um, and I just want to remind you that you can go over to yakimachief.com and uh, use their, their calculators for all the things that we're talking about today and look into uh, all the products that we're mentioning as well. So, Nick, just before the break, you started to mention for us um, that there are even more advanced products in the hop extract world um, that might solve uh, some of the questions I was asking about um, well, cutting corners, for lack of a better term. Uh, improving efficiency. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> um, okay. So, as I mentioned before, the advanced products are a way to get bitterness into your beer in a very, very accurate manner. And you can add them cold side. So, full-spectrum bittering extract and Ike, or isomerized kettle extract, are not really very water-soluble or, or beer-soluble, shall we say. Um, I've had many customers requesting help. Uh, some, some guy was making some hoppy cider, and he was, he was complaining that he was dry hopping with hop extract, and he couldn't get it to dissolve. I'm like, well, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> it's supposed to be boiled um, it. because it's like trying to dissolve a candle in a beer. It just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so... The advanced products are effectively, we've taken the hop extract, the, 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 the sort of the viscous material, and then we've combined it with some, and with some clever chemistry um, with uh, potassium hydroxide, which is a, a salt, um, and, and elevated the pH to about 9, which forces the aromatic fraction and the beta fraction to sink down and the alpha fraction to float up. And so what you're able to do is then I hope I got that right. Um, you're, you're able to, to, to separate the two off effectively. So you're able to, to separate the, the alpha from the beta. Okay. And the alpha acids then are in a, in a, in, in a state where they're, you know, they're, they're, they're in this sort of oily, viscous mixture. And then we drop the pH using uh, generally sulfuric acid. Um, and this stuff is, uh, these, these things neutralize each other because we're just dropping the pH down. And that uh, sort of 
changes the, the, the conformation of the compounds so that they're now water-soluble and isomerized. They've got that, that bittering potential is now realized, and they can be mixed with ethanol, uh, really for, for, for better solubility and for uh, shelf stability and for sterility, because you want to add these, you're going to add these, these on the cold side uh, to the beer, and you can dose in exactly the amount of bittering compounds that you want. Okay. So you end up with um, some different characteristics. So you've got your standard sort of uh, isomerized alpha acids. And as an example, let's call that a bittering power of 100. All right. right? Just as as a heuristic. Then you end up with dihydroisoalpha acid, which is uh, typically known as rho. And that bittering power is only about 60 to 80 percent of the standard isoalpha acids okay so it's a softer bitterness uh, but it's an extremely good foam stabilizing agent okay and this is something that i think i think in our first episode you mentioned that I, i'd taught you something new that the isoalpha acids actually have um head retaining uh, uh characteristics and they help the the head be stable in a beer and so you can actually use these to add uh, nice dense foam and, 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 and foam stability and lacing to a beer in excess of their bitterness. And that's one of the things that Roe is used for. If you ever get those wonderful uh, pints of beer where it looks like you could float a penny on top of, a, on top of the head, yeah. frequently those are using Roe. See, I'm, I'm learning something. Again, uh, I just had a, a, a very nice beer the other day. It was a very nice Pilsner. I'm not going to mention the brewery. Um, loved the beer. Zero head whatsoever and the brewer knew and and was uh, a little bummed about it and was trying to figure out what to do and of course i didn't have any advice um but uh this is this is a good piece of information because otherwise the beer the beer was was really wonderful it's a great beer but um you know a a beer that appears to be flat is not as enjoyable as one with with a great like firm head that you're talking about as charlie bamforth the pope of foam says yes we drink with our eyes first. <laughs> yes, Doctor Bubbles himself. <laughs> Doctor Bubbles. Yeah. I actually think that dude's in Canada, and I think he works in hemp. Okay. But, whoops. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, um, if you, if you look at a, a lot of the 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 really classic Pilsner styles, they rely on these advanced products to to get that head formation, because people don't want to be making beer that takes 120 days of aging to produce anymore. It's just not economically really viable, right? at least from a commercial side. So, And because these are 100% hop-derived, and there's, there's no residual stuff in them other than hops, really, or hop compounds, mm-hmm. they conform to the Reinheitsgebot. Okay. Love so that. these are these are things that you can use, and they're they're not considered cheating. Um, it's like you know, if you told an artist that they can only use three colors, that would be kind of silly. Right. So it's a nice challenge, but if they have many other options, why not use them? So as an advanced product, am I purchasing something that's that's just called Row, or is it like is that the product's name? Or that's the or that's the chemical compound we're talking about. So it's it's dihydroisoalpha acid, and it's referred to as Rho just for shorthand. That's R H O, and uh, you would be Rho, really, Rho extract. I think would be would be would be, concert, would be would be called. Okay. Um, and it's it's in an aqueous solution. It comes in a little bottle or a, a jerry can or a drum or if you're a really big brewer, a tote, uh, which is a thousand liters, um, and you just dose it in. 
And you want to dose these in um, generally some people do it pre-filtration or pre-clarification, but you really want to dose them in afterwards because if you because because filter media and and centrifugation they 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 will create a little bit of a louche in in the beer uh, when they first added. Um, so you need to make sure that they're homogenized throughout the whole tank uh, uh, before before you tr- you do anything else to it um, because you you don't want to add you don't want to sort of run into a. a, a a, a situation where it's it's fractionated out or, or settled out in the tank and end up with all your bitterness at the top of the tank and none at the bottom or vice versa. Um, and when I say loose, you know, if you if you add water to absinthe or water to ethanol, uh, to pure ethanol, it'll typically uh, get a little bit hazy because it changes the chemical comp- composition of the mixture and so stuff precipitates out. Okay. Um, so you want to make sure it's well mixed in. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that I've done in the past was to introduce it um, – to the beer stream going into a bright tank after the centrifuge or after filtration. I see. And that's one of the reasons that we, uh, we produce it in, in an ethanol mixture so that it's safe to add to the beer. Got it. Fully sterile can be added on, sterile, on this yep. cold side. And then that's a good way to blend it in. It's uh, kind of downstream. It is. Yeah. It's a very good way to blend it in. Um, there's two other advanced products and then I'll tell you a funny story about, um, how I, I royally screwed up using these uh, in a minute. Okay. So, as we said, uh, the standard iso alpha acid is a bittering power of about 100, right? And it's a standard foam stability. It's not going to really add anything more than just isomerized alpha acids and the, the foam characteristics thereof. The row extract is a softer bitterness. It's, it's less intense, um, but it's got extremely high foam stability and foam stabilizing characteristics. Tetra is another form, uh, another, it's a, made through another process, and tetra extract is a much sharper bitterness. So rather than being only 60 to 80% as bitter as a regular isoalpha acid, tetra is about 160 to 180. So it's 60 to 80% greater than regular isoalpha acids. So you can use even less of it. Okay to get the same bittering compounds. And these things are only going to, in terms of flavor, they're only going to give you bitterness. Got and it. And there are some bitterness characteristics. Again, that's something you can, if you really want to get into it, you can look at some of the modern brewing texts. And I think Bamford's got a chapter on that where the different bittering character is described. And when you talk about a sharp bitterness, it's much more back of the throat, much more back in the sides of the tongue. It's going to be really, really noticeable. Okay. Um, and Tetra has a pretty good foam st- stabilizing characteristic as well. So it's pretty, um, it, it, it will, it's not nearly as intense as Rho, but it is pretty, it, it will bump it up quite a bit. So with Tetra or Rho, if I was just looking for some foam stability, I would remove... I would recommend adding Rho. Okay. And, and to do so, though, because it is, has a bittering quality to it, I would have to adjust my, the IBUs I'm getting from my traditional hops at the same time. Bingo. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that you'll probably run into uh, with a lot of the IPAs, and especially a lot of the New England IPAs uh, that are out there right now, um, tremendous quantities of dry hops actually kind of interfere with the, the head formation. And I know this sounds almost sort of counterintuitive because hop compounds have a uh, head stabilizing or foam stabilizing character when they're isomerized and isomerized in a certain way. 
Okay. And when you add the dry hops, all those oils and stuff are going to be in there. And there's a lot of particulate matter uh, that, that will bind to substances and drop out. And that's going to take a lot of those proteins out with them. Got it. So, uh, funny story here. I, we, I used to make a beer, um, and uh, we loved it. It was it was great. It was this this nice uh, sort of a, a Goza inspired beer, um, and it used acidulated malt for for the sourness character. And we added gooseberries to it. And it was just a, it's a delicious beer. It was we, we called it Brewers Gatorade because at every beer festival on the second day when we're all hungover from the being too excited to see each other for the first night, um, the next day a low alcohol tart beer with a good good salt profile was exactly what we wanted the one thing that we could never really get was a good foam character on that and i'd been playing around with using some 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 tetra to 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 get the bitterness up and to try to increase that that foam stability um but it was just providing too much bitterness and the bitterness was a little bit too too sharp for the for the beer character because you know the higher or the, the the more sour a beer the the more the perceived bitterness will be I ran out of Tetra <laughs> and I grabbed what I thought was another thing, a Tetra um, or, or Hex, I forget at the time, but I grabbed something and instead of the other two, I grabbed Row. And so I was like, well, I'm not getting enough film stability. Um, I'll knock out the bittering hops in, in the kettle and I'll add, uh, you know, two or three times the amount to, to, to bump up that bittering ca- character to where we want it. And about a third of the way through our centrifuge run, our bright beer tank, which is uh, so, it was, this is a this was a hundred hectoliter tank going into a hundred and sixty hectoliter BBT. So I I, I had theoretically sixty percent more space than I needed. Well, all the foam started breaking out. <laughs> okay. And this BBT starts vomiting foam over the entire brewery, and I couldn't shut it off. Oh it was no! Just. It was like, have you ever seen the movie with uh, uh, Peter Sellers, The Birthday Party, where there's some soap that gets into, into a fountain, and <laughs> yeah. then it's just like, it's like it was like a, a fusion of that, an animal house, and a foam party from Miami in the 90s. It right. Was, it was just ridiculous. Um, and this is thick, stable foam, and so some of the guys are there just trying to hose it down the drain. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> so, so, so that was a that was a fun day. <laughs> so I'm really glad you're bringing that up because I, I guess I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought, okay, you certainly want to measure the amount of row you use based on how many bittering units you want, but I would have left that, like you did, irrespective of the amount of bubbles it was going oh, to create. Oh my god, it yeah. was... Um, I, I wish I had pictures of that day, but I think we were too busy trying to f- battle the foam beast out the door uh, to take pictures of it because, you know, haha, it's funny for a minute. And then <laughs> you're going 150 hectoliters an hour and you're like, oh, God. Uh, um, wow. So it was, it was everywhere. Okay. Um, so I have another question about, I guess, extracts in general. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I heard a rumor a long time ago uh, about, you know, one of the big breweries who puts their beer into a clear bottle mm-hmm. um, uses the what I had heard in, in talking to you. I'm thinking that it's not entirely true that they used entirely, you know, only hop extract in order to have beer that doesn't skunk from light now. So so 
in le- in listening to you, I'm thinking they use extract and also some hops, but we'll see. And then, so do, do the are are these uh, products um, not uh, affected by light like uh, traditional hops are? That is correct. Um, so the the different formulations have different degrees of, of light stability. So mm-hmm. the compound is uh, um, all sorts of, of well, the, the, the process, I guess, not the compound, but the, 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 the light struck process is, is all sorts of interesting and, and, uh, and chemically difficult. Um, but the light stable extracts are um, able to resist that okay so if you're if you're going to be packaging it into uh into clear bottles or into green glass bottles um the these extracts will prevent the bittering compounds from being light struck and developing that skunky characteristic okay do they do they are you saying that they would also protect the other hops that are in there or does it is it does that just what happens to the extract itself it just just happens to the extract extract itself. So okay. the extract derived bittering compounds themselves. Okay. Um, what can happen is that some breweries ha- became known. Some of their beer products became known for a certain skunk level of character. Yeah. And so when they moved entirely to extract, they had a problem because people it didn't taste like people expected. So they had to add back in some hop extract and i think this is this is no longer the case but back then uh they had to set the green bottles outside wow to allow some skunking to happen to to to, to flavor match basically okay they, you, you said they, they had to add some uh, regular hops back into the recipe yeah so the regular okay. hop, uh, hop alpha acids um to to develop that skunky character because that's what what the customer had gotten used to right and became a, a bit of a, a bit of a brand characteristic of course what a funny phenomenon that is but we are weird people yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. this smells like skunk i don't like it <laughs> oh but this doesn't smell enough like skunk i want some more yeah yeah uh it's like being a garbage man and then you're just like ah it just doesn't smell garbagey enough here anymore yeah you yeah. got any more cantaloupe rinds and some old coffee <laughs> i just need to, i just need to bump this up a little bit this is right. really isn't going to match with the rest of the tip right right um, uh okay all right well this is good to know so okay well um, Go ahead. I'm wondering to to sort of bring this all together. Um, if you have any other sort of uh, tips and tricks or best practices when when using these products. Well, I mean, realistically, it's as I say with just about everything. Um, play with them. You know, mm-hmm. use these compounds so that you learn how how they function in your beer and in your recipe. Because that's going to be the truest and the most sort of the most important aspect for you is is is, is producing um, the beer that you want to produce and to have the characteristics that you want. We have products that can help you refine that, but you're going to be the final arbiter of deliciousness in your beer. Mm-hmm. And so again, uh, as we've said before, what I like is different from what you like. Is what different from Blaze likes? Is what different from Jeremy likes? So make the beer you want to drink. Because chances are somebody else wants to drink it too. Right, right. And use these products to 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 help you get more to uh, towards what your sort of uh, you know platonic ideal of uh, of beeriness is. Okay, so 
That makes sense to me. You know, use it uh, to make the beer that you want to make and, and that you're used to making. But you do a lot of work with brewers in the field, Nick. So I'm wondering is, you know, as a brewer transitions to this for the first time and starts to experiment with it, is there kind of a set of common questions or uh, uh, common mistakes that you see happening? Yes. Okay. So um, I'm going to back up a little bit and describe sort of, sort of some of some of the reasons that you might want to do this. So um, using the full spectrum ex- extracts and sort of the non-advanced product formulations of hop extract um, has a lot of advantages. Uh, first of all, it's very concentrated, so it requires a lot less storage space on your shelf. And so in, in many ways, it's actually more sustainable to ship and to store. Um, but it is a fluid. So it will, they can settle out over time. So at the top of the level, at the top of the tin or the top of the bucket, it might be a different, slightly different bittering level than at the bottom. Okay. So we're going to get a little bit of fractionation just, just through gravity over time, especially if you're in a very warm climate. That makes sense. Okay. Where, where it's a little bit more fluid. So whenever you're going to dose anything, make sure to mix it up if you're not using an entire entire uh, package unit at the same time. That said, we also offer many different sizes of package so you can use the entire thing without having to worry about that. Okay. Um, you can invest in very expensive hop extract dosing rigs where you, you load a whole tin and it, it recirculates the beer through it and, and all that, and that's really expensive, but it's, it's, it's very, very effective, and you get a nice homogenization into your kettle. Or... You could get your one of your welders to cut a piece of pipe into a stabby stabby shape, and then just poke a bunch of holes in the tin, hook a, a carabiner and a chain through it, and just hang it in your whirlpool. Okay. And that works just fine. Simple enough. Um, and it, and that and that you know that that really is probably one of the most cost effective ways of of getting these things into your beer is just stab the can and hang it in there. <laughs> Love it. Okay. You know, brewers, we're, we're, we're cheap and cheerful. So. <laughs> no reason to overcomplicate things. Exactly. And so, so that's, that's a good one. Um, uh, another one would be uh, make sure that you're adding the right advanced product and you don't create a foam monster in your brewery. Um, and, and don't just dose based on bitterness, but, ba- but based on your overall character. And pay attention to everything that the, the products are going to add to your beer. So if you're using, if you're just after bitterness... You know, you might not want to consider using a full spectrum extract because it is going to add flavor because the varietal characteristics are and the varietal character of the hops in those full spectrum extracts is retained. Okay. So you want to make sure that if you're just after bitterness, I would recommend using um, sort of the isomerized kettle extract or um, one of the advanced products on down the line. Got it. And if you don't want to add a tremendous amount of foam, make sure you use either the ISO or, or hexa and and not not row or tetra <laughs> so when i'm go when i'm ordering these from you or i'm browsing around uh yakima chief.com i'm i'm gonna find uh items called uh full spectrum bittering extract which we discussed oh, here we actually just we actually just listed as, as hop extract hop extract and, and that's and just hop, okay generic hop bittering extract and then there's a single varietal hop extracts um and those are the those are the the the, the resinous ones that are in the can with, that you have to kind of stab and and and, and drop into your kettle or if you're a home brewer uh you know buy a 300 gma tin which is going to be like a you know 500 to 600 gram total um heat it up mix it up with a popsicle stick take a syringe 
get the number of mLs you want or a teaspoon, depending on how accurate you are, and chuck it in. Okay. I will also find items called Ike, isomerized cattle extract on the website. Yep, you should be able yep. to find that there. And um, then, okay. And then yeah, on the advanced it. side, just because so, I want to make sure I didn't miss any of them, because there was a few we went through. There's ISO 30, that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Tetra. There's Hexa. Yep. And there's Rho. Correct. And of those four, both Tetra and Rho will have some of the foam stability characteristics. Yeah, so they'll have enhanced foam stabilizing characteristics. And what are the specific uses for the ISO 30 or the Hexa? Just for bitterness. If you just want to add that, uh, just, just bitterness without any foam, foam extra. Why, w- what would help me choose between ISO 30 or Hexa? Again, that goes to the uh, sort of the bittering characteristics. So um, it, the Hexa is, is actually a blend of, uh, of Tetra and ISO. Hmm. Um, and it's, so it's just the, the, way it's, the way it's formulated. It's equivalent to the standard ISO uh, bittering power. Um, it's, it, it's less soft than Rose. So it's, it's, it's a lot like the standard ISO alpha extract, but it's not it's it's a little different. It's a little. It might be a little bit sharper on the on the back of the throat and sides of the tongue, but not nearly as bitter as Tetra. Okay, got it. So it's just again, it's to help. Uh, well, it's it, with the artist's palate here to to pick the mm-hmm. type of bitterness that you're looking for. Yep, because I mean, it, it, there is there are differences in the types of bitterness, you know, um, and and the way I can describe that is, you know, if you eat a, a bitter melon versus a bite into the pith of an orange versus chew on a hop cone, don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> you know, they're all going to taste slightly different, or or you know, chomp down on an aspirin if you're a real masochist. Um, but those those are all different characteristics of, of of bitterness that you'll detect differently. Okay, understood. Um, and of course, you can go uh, shop around on uh, yakimachief.com and read about each one of these. And I'm sure you guys have uh, described what type of bitterness they might add as well. Yep. So uh, on the product pages, you'll have uh, what the product is, what formats you can buy it in, and a description of the bitterness and some of the characteristics you'll get from it. Okay. Perfect. All over at yakimachief.com. Dot com. Uh, all right. Well, that sounds like a pretty good overview of hop extract to me. Or did we miss anything? Um, probably, but I usually do. <laughs> um, but we'll, well, hopefully our, our listeners will provide us with some, some questions that we can answer later on. Absolutely. You can always uh, write to us at hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com. Hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com. And in fact, uh, the very next episode that we are going to publish is... Uh, completely dedicated to listener questions that we've gotten over the last couple months, Nick. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. We've got some good ones. Yeah, we really do. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Hop and Brew School podcast. As always, once again, you can write to us Hop and Brew School at thebrewingnetwork.com. We love to hear hear your feedback uh, or your questions. Go to yakamachief.com. You can purchase hops there, both as a home brewer or a professional, and of course, find out all about uh, the things that we talk about here on the program. So, good job today, Nick. Thanks for helping me understand hop extract. Always a pleasure, sir. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves and your beer.